to The Truth In This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I'm excited to be in conversation with my next guest, a comic book writer, publisher, editor. He is a DC Milestone Initiative participant. He's based in Norcross, Georgia, and he's one half of the duo behind the captivating Tuskegee Airs comic series, as well as two children's books, Broken Glass and Grandpa's Shoes. Also, this interview is brought to you by the fine folks at AwesomeCon. Please welcome Greg Burnham. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Before I get into, you notice how it's not even a transition between how I talk, by the way. It's just like the same conversation. Um, Yeah, because I'm the same way. (laughs) I always think of like Michael Jackson or Prince. I was like, your voice is deep. And now suddenly when you're singing, you sound like a different person. Right, right, right. So as we go into like the the introductory, I like to like frame it almost like sort of the theme of the what I'm looking for within the question and and what the question is. So. You know, we're going to start off with sort of the the journey into the world of comics and, and writing. Can you share like where that journey started? What inspired you to pursue pursue this creative endeavor? Uh, so let me see. So like, I was I was living in Louisiana. I spent my dad was in a military guy, so we lived all over the place. But I lived in Louisiana like from eighth grade, you know, through college or whatever. Huh. And um, so. We're living there. I'm like writing poetry to myself. I was in a in a rap group, you know, a local rap group, whatever. So, you know, writing lyrics, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I was a fan of comics, you know, since I was, you know, tiny, you know. So um, when I moved to the Atlanta area, it's like I had to, I already had this idea, and I wanted to, I wanted it to be like a movie. Of course, you don't you don't know anybody to pitch to none of that stuff. But it's like this is this would be a dope movie. And so when I came here, you know, I started just messing around with it, and I was like, I could do this as a comic book. So I started looking for artists, and took I mean, it probably took like six months to find an artist uh, because people were like catfishing. They were like, mm-hmm. you know, I did this, but then come to find out, they traced it or. You know, it was it was bad, man. It was bad. This is like the late, you know, like the early 2000s. And um, this dude that I played basketball with that, you know, we hung out and stuff. He was into, you know, comic stuff. And so one day he comes over to my house with this guy, this young dude. He's like, hey, man, meet my friend. This is uh, Marcus. You know who turned into you know now he's called Marcus the Visual, fancy schmancy. Uh, so he brings Marcus to the crib. Is is this uh are, are is this gonna be recorded or like is it will the video show on the podcast? Because I can show you. All right, so this is the book. Uh, it's called Starving Artist. This is backwards, but um, this is what we created all the way back then. And we call ourselves, you know, doing it so we could enter into this some kind of contest or whatever. And so we crank this thing, this bad boy out. People get mad at me when I tell them we crank this out in like a, a month because you know how long it takes for us to, <laughs> to do books now. So, yeah, um, that was the beginning. Um, and we put it in a shop, uh, Criminal Records, real cool shop in Little Five Points, Atlanta. Dude was like, yeah, I'll just take a few. We'll see how, you know, how it works. And that very next day, because we brought them to him like on a Tuesday night, yeah. Wednesday at about two o'clock, which, you know, new comic book day, 
two o'clock, he calls me at my job or my job room. He's like, yo, we need more of those books, man. Them things went like that. I'm like, what? So, you know, we started and we were slanging them and we were printing them at the FedEx Kinko's. And uh, we were paying about $10 because we formatted. We did everything ourselves. So it's costing us like $10 to produce a book. Because FedEx ain't giving no discounts on paper, no nothing. Nah. <laughs> um, and then we were selling the book for like $4. So it was automatically like, you know, the more successful we have, the worse it's going to be. It's like, we didn't know about printers, none of that. We just knew we were some hustlers, you know? <laughs> and so um, we did that for a while. And me and Marcus just got closer and closer through the whole process. And to now, it's like we're hanging out. It doesn't have nothing to do with art or none of that stuff. And so, um, yeah, man, we uh, cranked out that book. That's how the comic thing started. We did have to stop because we realized, you know, we weren't making any money. And we put a lot of effort into it. So we had to kind of spend a block. Um, We did a couple of children's books. I don't know where they are. I sold out. I, I got to order some more when I get back from Awesome Class. But um, yeah, we did a couple children's books. Marcus worked on some comics, and the whole time we were just stealing, soaking up information, you know, about you know retailing, about you know where to go to get you know like a cheaper, like a less expensive print. Mm-hmm course you got to order bulk so you know we you know learned all that kind of stuff and so then when when tuskegee airs came out we were actually working on another comic idea and then tuskegee airs came out and people went crazy and so we had to stick with it so i want to i want to throw a few comments in there and and give you that chance to catch your breath because you know they're giving the full thing but um thank you thank you for that i i at least want to throw on because i'm a i'm a um I'm a meme guy. I'm a pun guy. And it's like, get those comic catfishing going on, man. Can't have it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, it was brutal. <laughs> and, you know, as a person that's behind the scenes, we may talk about this later. Um, I, I have a book that I've I've done. And <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm um, like, man, maybe it's going to be the flip next year. You know, I'm being interviewed. But it is it is one of those things where, you know, you, you find someone that you can collaborate with and that it, it fits and it makes sense. And, you know, you, you just figure it out. And a lot of times I think, you know, especially like folks like us and like creators of color and all of that good stuff, you know, we, we are almost always, you know, self-taught autodidactic or what have you, and just figuring it out on our own. And I look at in doing this, I was talking to someone about it yesterday you know, I'm looking at this really cool board that I have and I'm recording through right now. But I remember my first like recording interface. It was a Fast Track Pro, which um the my my ex-co-host uh he he titled aptly the Universal Fart Machine because it was just really stupid. And but I learned about that device by listening intently to a Kevin Smith podcast and he slipped up and mentioned like we used to fast track pro and I was feverishly typing it to figure out how to use it and some of the hacks and just trying to find a way to make it work without going after even now I apply you know that sort of approach without going after sort of the the biggest most popular like buzzy name like 
I'm using a Zoom recorder, not like um, a uh, a roadmaster or what have you, or a road. And so that's kind of the roadcaster, and that's kind of the way that I think approaching it, figuring out what works for you, and sometimes it's like finding those different options out of necessity. Yeah, yeah, and you you learn a lot. Um, I will say it it was eye opening when I got when we got to like sit around these other publishers and all this stuff because it's kind of like you fast track now you know because mm. like it's just like me if you come to me right now and say greg can you show me how to make a comic i'm going to be able to tell you a whole lot of stuff that will not include all the trial <laughs> and error <laughs> that we you know that we did you know what i'm saying so yeah it was um it's good on both ways but when you learn things yourself you kind of learn what works for you and you kind of can figure out how you want to move mm -hmm. so I think that also helps us because when we sit down, like with other comic, like creators who who only worked for you know the big two or whatever, yeah. it's like we be giving them so much game mm -hmm. that they never even really considered, you know, because it's like no, we hustle, <laughs> like we're gonna figure out ways to you know make this money with it, you know. So the way the way that I would put it, I've taught a few classes on podcasting. I would say learn from my mistakes. You know, I've made all of them and yep. and just distilling it and making it simple. And it's kind of like, you know, this is what folks aren't going to tell you. This is the way that you can do it at this scale and at this level or at a higher level. Um, so I want to want to switch gears a little bit and, and talk about, you know, a few of the the projects that, you know, are attached to your name. Um, that, you know, if folks are undipped, give us the background a little bit. Um, and if you will, you know, kind of express sort of the inspirations and the importance of representation as it comes to your work. And I'm seeing the children's books, uh, Broken Glass and Grandpa Shoes, and I see obviously Tuskegee Air. So give us a little bit about like, what are the themes there? And, you know, why representation matters, especially when it comes to like, you know, the work that you're pursuing. Oh, gotcha. So uh, I got props. Just because it's part of my desk. Uh, so, you know, yeah, the Tuskegee Airs here, which is a futuristic sci-fi. It features five black pilots whose planes sometimes turn into mechs. And um, so that one, like, of course, the Tuskegee Airmen were like a huge uh, inspiration just in life, not just from a military standpoint or anything, but just in life uh, for me. My dad was in the Air Force, so... You know, and then uh, one of the mechanics is like was my grand my one of my grandfather's uh, best friends. They call each other cousins. Yeah, and the family was like, "You, we had a Tuskegee Airman family." I was like, "Show me some type of documentation." <laughs> they were unable to provide any, um, but I was like, "I'm not claiming it unless." And then we did find out because he recently passed away. We did find out that they weren't biological cousins. So I'm glad because that could have been a scandal. Like, but we I wasn't doing it to bring attention to myself. Uh, I, I ain't gonna say hi. We because Marcus is my partner with Tuskegee Years. Um, so it wasn't about bringing attention. It was like giving the world stuff that we wish we could have had when we were kids. Um, or even you know adults <laughs> so uh yeah and then i got uh, broken glass so my children's books are kind of like um they have like like lessons that you can learn like i'm old so back in my day your cartoons like all of that it was like there was a moral to the story 
and you could learn something from it. So uh, Broken Glass is about, you know, like a kid basically weighing the pros and cons. Should he tell the truth? Tell his He did something he wasn't supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Should he tell his parents or should he try to hide it? They're all based on true stories, too. And, then, and uh, Grandpa's Shoes is just a little girl. She has an idea of what her grandpa, you know, when you're a kid, you see this old dude and he's just chilling all the time. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you think that's what he is, who he is. And then she stumbles on a, um, a scrap, like, like a really old scrapbook that shows like all these different things that he was doing as a kid all the way up into, you know, adulthood. And so she's now looking at him like she's a hero. That also happened. It was with me, but my daughter was like, okay, you got to have a girl for this one. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, uh, that one is pretty cool. And then I got a brand new children's book. It just came out a couple weeks ago. I do have the prop here. It's called Swim Kelly Swim. Nice. It's been doing pretty good so far. Um, And this one, it's kind of, it's also based on a true story. My little brother's name is Kelly. And, um, but what it is, is it's a fun story, but I've trickled in like um, tips for like, you know, beginning swimmers, just stuff that kind of takes away some of the fear, you know, behind swimming. You know what I'm saying? It's no secret what's happening, you know, like, some of the reasons why black people are have not really you know jumped into swimming uh, you know like other people have so it's kind of just a <coughs> excuse me i knew that was coming uh it's kind of just to uh to you know get rid of some of the stigmas behind it and some of the you know the fear yeah so yeah and then what else i got uh more props the search for sadika Which is a historical action adventure. It was inspired by the Tulsa Black Wall Street massacre. Um, This just came out today. I don't know if you heard of that. um, So I was part of the Milestone Initiative with uh, DC Comics, and um, part of what we did, there were they took twelve artists and twelve writers. So part of what we did was we wrote a. like we created stories. So this is my DC comic. You can't probably see that good. This I, is my DC Comics debut uh, today, June 6th. And um, so, yeah. And then I got other stories like uh, Little Rock Files is coming soon. And that's like a noir detective, 80s type of story. So, I mean, you know. I, I'm, I'm sitting here, my. <laughs> My teeth are dry because I've been smiling the entire time because I love what I'm hearing and it it, it feels of the sort of representation and, and sort of craving of, you know, the, the things that I miss, like, you know, like. I'm old as well, by the way, um, for context. So you mentioned like hey, you said we're moral. I was like, yeah, no one's half the battle, guys, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and and um, don't smoke after school and all of that stuff. And I, I will say like, you know, you you watch things in media, whatever the media, because I think a lot of things are adaptations, right? And I find like a lot of times certain voices just aren't there or they are there, but they're trying to do too many things. And I've said this is not necessarily comic related, but it could be adapted into a comic, you know, or even, even a book because it comes from a book. 
But I think of the Easy Rollins stuff. Like, why don't I see that as a noir thing on HBO? We got Perry Mason. Can I get that? We've seen yeah. Denzel in that role before. I, I, we can cast John David Washington. I don't care. Make it. You know what I mean? So when you mention, you know, we're going to do, you know, something that's noir, we're going to do something that's in, you know, historical, we're going to do something that kind of keys in on, you know, these historical things that have happened and affected black folks. It hits, you know, on different stories that we've seen, like whether it's Lovecraft Country, whether it's any of these different things that are blown out in a broader, more crossover sort of way. Yeah. And that's, you know, I'm a history major. Everything that I do is not based on history type stuff, but a lot of it, like I'm able to, like, even in this, this story, I, um, you know, the one that's in the milestone, I chose to like reference the uh, 1920 in 1927 in New Orleans, uh, there was like a, there was a like super huge flood that was flooding. It was really impacting like the Southeast United States. Yeah. And so um, New Orleans, they decided to bomb this levee. Uh, and so it would you basically could flood, you know, the undesirable areas and keep the affluent ones, hmm. you know, fresh. Isn't that something? And, <laughs> yeah. And so they did it again in the 60s. So remember when Katrina happened mm -hmm. and those people were coming out saying that they heard mm -hmm. and people were like trying to shun them and everything. It's like, no, there's real like in in the 20s. They didn't even you know, it yeah. wasn't even kept undercover like it should have been. If it would have been would nobody would know about it today. You know what I'm saying? It's it's one of those things um, that makes me think about like sort of how I believe how I feel about like cultural preservation. I, I think as the the annals of history erode and we get more and more past a certain point, it's just like oh yeah that that's old that never happened. It's like but it did when when I talk to folks like I do this podcast and I go into different like I was you know touching on before we got started. I've spent time in Philly doing a lot of interviews. And what was it like the project move will have you? And mm -hmm. folks talking about that. And, I, and they was like, yeah, that was in 1985. I was like, I was born in 1985. I was like, that's not that long ago as I look at my gray hairs and, and just like, oh, this isn't like that far removed. These things are, are still happening in, in different ways. So, and it's not like, I, I watched that on TV. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I watched the coverage on TV living in Missouri when we think like we tend we want to believe that oh it happened so long ago or whatever but no no that still that impacted me as a child mm -hmm. especially listening to their coverage they made it sound like these were some terrorists that was getting ready to blow up the world or something you know yeah so it's like you know that kind of stuff impacts like and when you you know when they talk about how like trauma gets passed down genetically mm -hmm. and stuff like that it's like it wasn't that long. It wasn't long enough ago. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It wasn't long enough. Like in 19, like there, I'm sure in New Orleans, there were some people that were alive in 1927 that experienced this Katrina thing. So yeah. they've seen it multiple times. I, I'll never forget because I was even skeptical. This is when I learned about this. We were at the Tupac uh, Center on, on Memorial Drive. This is like maybe 2001 or 2002 
And I was on this panel. I don't know how I got there. <laughs> Somebody was like, this dude knows about hip hop. Put him on the panel. I'm like, okay. I did know a lot about hip hop. Don't get me wrong. But some of the people that I was on the panel with, I'm, I don't feel like I deserve to be there, you know? Um, but there was a lady who stood up and made a comment because one of the, I'm not going to say who it was, but one of the panelists kind of shunned, like poo-pooed the whole, you know, the whole Katrina thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess, what was that? Whatever year that was. Um, so he just kind of like shunned it like uh, whatever. And the lady got really passionate. She was older and she was like, no, they did blow the levee. Like we heard it, we were there, you know? And I sat and I talked to this lady afterwards and that's what prompted me to like do my own, yeah. you know, research on it or whatever. And just dumbfounded, like how callous and cold they were. So it's like, I slipped that kind of stuff in. I don't, I'm not like, hey, this book is about this yeah. or none of that. It's just, you now I'm seeing a DC book. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, you're, you're now gonna, it's here. Yeah. You're, you're going to be able to put in, you know, as a, a, a black male, like your perspective through your lens and whatever nomenclature that, that folks like to use, but that's going to, you know, work its way into your writing, how you approach projects and, you know, collaborative projects. Does it fit? Does it make sense? And I, and I think that there's something to be said about that. I think that's actually why representation matters. And I think that's actually why having like folks, you know, that are like, look, you know, there may not be this, this spot for me. It's like, do what you know, do what you like, do what matters to you and you'll find quote unquote, your tribe. Yeah. And, you know, as a as a writer, like, I know that I have to be like, I'm I just wrote a script for another DC project. I'm not a, I'm not, a, not really allowed to say who it is yet. But um, with that one, it's like somebody that I'd never like if, if somebody hit me up and say, yo, you want to write Black Panther? I'd be like, yes, I do. Because I already, you know, I've been planning this out my whole life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This was a character that I just never assumed anybody would ever let me write. So I didn't have, I had to come up with stuff or whatever. But um, it's it's out of my regular, you know, my normal loop. But that's my thing is I feel like I can write pretty much anything. Like they hit me up. They were like, can you write horror? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> Easily. But I know I can. I knew yeah. I could already. So I, you know, gave them a concept. They're like, yo, that's like, yeah, let's roll. I look at what I do a little bit in that, that sort of same vein of can you do sort of the, and, and without being one dimensional, right? Can you do the, the sort of barbershop podcast? Sure. I can get reckless. I can get out there. Can you talk movies? Absolutely. I'm a nerd. I watch movies. Can you do interviews? Yes. Can you do like historical stuff? Sure. And it's just like, um, I think, you know, what, what you're what you're touching on. And I think what a lot of creatives that look like you and I have is this just sort of you can only talk this, but really you can do a lot of different things. There's so many. We're croissants. We're black people croissants. That's the way I'll put it, Greg. <laughs> so let me say, let me say, um, I want to I want to switch gears a little bit because I definitely want to talk about Awesome Con. Um, a touch. I got like two last sort of real questions. And then I got those rapid fire questions. I didn't forget. Didn't forget those rapid fire questions. I've been adding cool, as we cool. were talking. Oh, Lord. And so let, let, let's speak about the, you know, significance in, in, uh, of Awesome Con and, you know, conventions, but specifically Awesome Con, like, you know, for creators, creators like yourself. Um, because, you know, as I touched on before we got started, I've seen you there multiple times. You know, I'm not stalking, but, you know, I'm going there. 
I, I haven't dressed in uh, my my cosplay yet, but you know, I've been mm-hmm. up. I've been popping up and with different beards. But you know, so give me give me sort of that context of the significance of Austin Con for creators and and being around like in that community. Man, so I think I want to say Austin Con might have been the first convention that we came to. It's Tuskegee years. We didn't even have a book yet. Um, but I want to say Awesome Con was the first one. Um, and it was crazy. Like, it was so crazy. We couldn't get up to leave the table. Um, so definitely a great way to start. And I haven't missed one since. It's besides, you know, when the pandemic was happening. Yeah. Um, I, but the thing is, like, the DMV, like, uh, Baltimore Comic Con, Blurred Con, like, all these conventions are in my, like, top seven or eight conventions in the country because the area is just so dope. I don't know if people understand, but I feel like, like we sell a lot of books everywhere we go, but like in awesome kind Baltimore, like DC area, it's like people are really, really fans. Like they really be reading. And so it's like knowledgeable. So it's like, so in, you know, issue three of blah, 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 what made you decide to such and such? And I'm like, Shh, oh, let me see. Uh, oh, 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 okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, you remember, cause it's like, you write something, you're kind of on to the next thing. Um, but yeah, so that convention is like one that I'm just loyal to. I think there was one time where it just wasn't crazy but it was still cool or whatever. But other than that, that was that one time when they messed with the line, the layout and everything, tried to change some stuff up. But yeah. other than that, it's just been, it's one of my favorite shows. Like, and it's huge. Um, like they, they accepted us. I think the second year we, we were going to go to Heroes Con. And then um, I was like, or we could split, but it was too late. So, mm-hmm somebody hit somebody up for me and got me in, you know, got me a table. I still had to pay for it or whatever, but they were able to, you know, get me in. And that was one of the best years because I think that was the first year that we had the book, the first Tuskegee Years books. Oh, yeah. So I got this sort of like, uh, I'm going to append to that question with the the follow-up to it and the last sort of real question because the rapid-fire ones are not real questions. Uh, so for pre- prepping and preparing for sort of, you know, awesome con convention season, what does that like prep look like from the, you know, like, you know, fan perspective and from the guest perspective? Because I would imagine, you know, you've you've been in, in, in both sides of it. I would imagine that there are folks that you want to see there that are like doing work that you really like. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen you there as a guest multiple times, posted up. So, so talk about like what that sort of setup and that preparation looks like from from both perspectives. I mean, how much coffee is being drank? Because uh, it's a long time, I would imagine. Man, so like our thing, I think the part that I try to get like creators to understand is having books on tap to where, you know, like I already know how many books I'm taking to Awesome Con. I already got all that, but it's a lot, you know. Um, so you gotta you gotta be investing in your books ahead of time, you know, because sometimes you can get books back kind of quick, but other times, you know, depending on printer schedules, it could take weeks, you know. So, um, you know, there's that like planning out the travel, hotels, like all that kind of stuff is a whole different beast. I'm pretty good at that. Um, 
because I had I used to have to plan my own travel when I had you know like a corporate job, mm-hmm. so I got all of that on lock, you know. Um, but you still got to do it. You know what I mean? Um, it's so it's it's a lot. We I I feel like we're pretty much automated at this point because I got a crap ton of books. <laughs> I got everything. So I was just like, that's not, you know, it takes me longer to figure out what clothes I'm going to bring than it does, you know, finding the books or whatever. But um, yeah. And then from the other side of it, because even us, like as we're fans of all this stuff, right? So yeah. there, when I'm looking, I'm like, oh, such and such going to be there. Blah, blah, blah. Hey, Marcus, at this time, I'm going to leave the table for about 30 minutes. You good with that? And, you know, vice versa or whatever. We try to be at our table as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So if we're not there, we're either at the bathroom, getting food, or up in somebody else's business or something. Um, but, yeah. Uh, honestly, we don't. We I was laughing. I saw this funny uh, this TikTok where this dude made a bread sandwich. <laughs> like, And I'm just laughing. But I'm looking at it funnier because... We used to, we, we don't do it very much anymore, but we would buy like a big pack of Hawaiian rolls. <laughs> Cause it's like, sometimes you can't leave the table. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, when you get hungry, you just pop a roll. <laughs> that, that is- people be like, y'all don't have nothing else. Nah, man, we just, this is like sustenance. So the <laughs> thing I like about Marcus, like me and him, when we go out, it's like business. It's like, we're in the military or something. It's not about emotions. It's not about arguing over what you want to eat. None of that stuff. It's just straight up, you know, and uh, there's a such and such restaurant right here. All right, let's stop there. You know, so we're not really, we're there to, and it's not, it's fun though. We have a lot of fun, but we're there to meet the fans. We're there to make new fans. We're there, you know, for that experience. So yeah, we don't do a lot of partying. We'd be going to sleep, you know, like the whole thing. You know, I, I'm the the key takeaway I'm taking from that is you got to pop a roll sometimes. You just got to. You just got to pluck one out, man. Shake uh, it for the rest of them, and and we'll definitely pop over and see you when we're there. Because um, I remember uh, last year. This this is a thing that that pops up and just stays in my mind. I, I I think it was you. You were at the table, and um, my girl got like a couple books and uh tuskegee airs and she was like this looks like my son on there that that was the selling point for her you know so it speaks to the art and then she was just like did you read this issue yet and i was like all right tighten tighten up there fangirl geez i think i thought it was for him you know what i mean <laughs> that's yeah that's one of our things man like really passionate about you know showing the different skin tones you know hair types like all of it because We've seen it, like even with my previous children's books, I, like I had a lady, I was doing a signing. This lady uh, was flipping through the book. She started tearing up and I'm like, what, what? And then she holds the book up and holds this image up of the kid's mom. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, uh, 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 you were not used as, I don't know you. We did not use you for a reference. <laughs> That's she even great. had the same color shirt on as the lady. You know what I'm saying? And <laughs> she bought the book for herself because she was like, it looks like me. So we've seen that from little kids mm-hmm. all the way up to, uh, you know, like we have like a 70-year-old that cosplays our stuff. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, 
that that's the stuff that we're really cognizant of. We really put a lot of effort into that to make sure that we're showing our people in a, you know, in the light that they deserve because our people are beautiful. That's that's great. And I think that's where we can stop with the real questions. And now it's time for these. I got four of them for you. These rapid fire questions for you. How rapid do I have to fire? Uh, I be thinking a lot. Don't overthink them. I, I got to tell people, don't overthink them. Um, right. And I'm, I'm going to treat this almost chat GPT-ish. It's like mm-hmm. in the knees confines of convention season. All right. Let's move it that way for this first question. Okay. What is your, what is your go-to food? You were talking a little bit about, you know, popping a roll or what have you. What's your, what's your go-to food? You got, you know, you got that lunch break. You got that. I'm going to be away for like a half an hour, hour, whatever. What are you getting? Are you getting hot dogs? Are you getting like nachos? What are you getting at the convention? It's a case by case. I'd be looking at other people's food. You know what I'm saying? So like if you're nachos, if it's just like the basic, you know, chips and some cheese, sometimes you got to do it. Don't get me wrong. But it's all about options. It's also about, so there's stomach maintenance that goes into this, right? (laughs) Like you got to get foods that aren't going to, you know, make your stomach go wild. So sometimes it's just a look. And, you know, you get to be, be, you know, my age, sometimes you can just look at it and be like, Nah. What's the uh the dude on on the on the TikTok talking about my stomach's bubbling? You know, you can just look at certain stuff. So, you know, we try to keep it light during like while we're at the shows because it's like ain't nobody trying to be in the bathroom all day. That's a it's a whole different situation there. I'm, I'm always I'm always getting the chicken fingers. If I can find them, I'm getting chicken fingers. They're usually pretty safe. I, yeah, sometimes, but when you get them pretend meat. Chicken oh, tenders, no, <laughs> like that gelled, and sometimes you don't know yeah. until you bite into it. You know, I can't so, do that fish meat, that imposter meat. Can't do it. What is that? That McDonald's chicken McNugget meat? That oh, kind of yes. Yeah. That mechanically separated slurry. Can't do yeah, it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So you know, it's it's case by case. Pizza hardly ever fails you. Sometimes it's not great. Like we were, I'm not gonna say the convention <laughs> a couple weeks ago, but they had pizza. Pizza will, you know, sit in your stomach for a while, so you won't be starving. But it, it wasn't really good. But we did eat that like, every day, pretty much. I hear you. Um, if you could uh, have a superpower for 24 hours, what would it be? Only for 24 hours? For 24 hours. You're, you're, you're doing the trial. You know what I mean? <laughs> is time travel a superpower? It is. You're cheating a little bit, but it is. <laughs> I'm a writer. I figure out loopholes. That's uh-huh. what I do. Uh-huh. Um, I but if time, so if time travel is there, then it would be that. But if it's if we don't, if we're not going to consider that, I probably would just fly, man. I mean, fly. I just need. I need an alarm to let me know when my uh, 24 hours. Is <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's great. I mean, we always look at like, man, I need superhuman spe- strength, speed, whatever, visibility. But some of those like sort of simple ones is like, look, you could fly. Like that's a thing. Yeah. And yeah. you can just get to where you need to get to. But I, I like that initial answer. I like that sort of loophole you found. I like it. I like yeah. it. But you know, flying. So if it's only 24 hours, then you can, whatever power you have, you're not going to be able to do too much. If I could time travel in 24 hours, I could change a lot of things. But if I, you know, if I can't do that, then I would just go see everything in the world that I feel like I should have already seen. I dig it. 
Um, from your standpoint, um, you, you talked about just, you know, college and comics has, has always been like a thing for you. Um, so who is the most relatable? Well, it could be comics. It could be pop culture related. Who's the most relatable character to to who you are person personality wise? Like which character do you relate to most? So I always thought it was Peter Parker. But the black version. Nice. Um, but then static king yeah <laughs> i so like static or miles yep. morales i think probably because peter was there man but you know that was when i didn't have a lot of options uh but now like just thinking of me as a kid you know like being you know peter i mean miles or virgil one of those Good. this is the last one i got for you um, uh, thinking back to to growing up or what have you, what what is the one comic that sticks out in your head? It doesn't have to be your favorite, but it has to be the one that you're like. When I think about sort of my childhood bedroom or comics or whatever, what is that one comic that sticks out for you? For me, it's X, it's always X Men for me. So what is what is the one for you? Um, I think it wasn't in a good way. Um. I was like super observant as a little kid, right? So I would look at art and I would always be like, why are the black people not, you know, why? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know? Later on, I found out, you know, that they actually were, you know, they were they were saying stuff like dark skin doesn't look good on paper and Oof. yeah. Yeah, so even with the milestone, I'm gonna go off something just for a quick second. <laughs> even with milestone, like they were the first ones that were like, okay, well, we have to like do some real painting, like we're gonna do some other stuff to make sure that you know these skin tones look good on paper. Um, but anyways, so like I remember sneaking into my cousin's comics and my big cousin's comics, and I saw like jungle action. And I saw Man Ape and the Black Panther, you know, Umbaku. And yeah. I was just like, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that was what started me, like, kind of pulling away from it. Because it's like, it's just a, when you're little, you don't know how to articulate this stuff, but it's a feel. And it was like a gross feel. Like, mm-hmm. and then I like just knowing pretty sure it ain't no black man writing this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're being depicted and, and you know, growing up in the 80s, we, we we saw that all the time. The stereotypes, the, you know, savage depictions, the oversexed, the small brain Negro, like we saw all of that. So I think that was actually the beginning of me kind of pulling away from comics because it's like, at least with sports, even if you don't like me or even if I don't, you know, at a certain point, you got I got to be on the field or the court and then I'm going to show you that I'm better. than you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Whereas like in this kind of stuff, it was like early on, I was just not happy with how people were depicted. Like, I'm able to look at go back and look at some of it now with a better level of understanding sure. and everything. But, you know, so at that time they were being very um like when they created black panther and all that they that was they were like way ahead of their time it's kind of like an analogy i use when people think of the boston celtics they think of boston they think of the racism don't nobody want to go there 
and it's crazy because that was like the first team where the the coach and the owner was like, I don't care what y'all say. I'm going to bring a whole bunch of black people in, <laughs> you know? So it's like, now you're looking at them like, ooh, they're the scum of the earth. But Red Auerbach at least was honorable. And he what he did paved the way for everybody that came after, you know? So that's kind of how I look at them now. Whereas when I was younger, I was, you know, Furious Styles. I was ready to let's just burn it down, you know? <laughs> I, I like it. I like I like the Furious Styles reference. Um, that's, that's one of my. Uh, I have multiple Lawrence Fishburne related doppelgangers in, in pop culture, and uh, it's a cross between Jimmy Jump and uh, Furious Styles. Those are two very different dudes. <laughs> so, so with that, um, I, I want to one thank you for for being a part of this, and um, you know, happy con season, happy awesome con. Looking forward to seeing you there. And um, I want to give you the space um, in these final moments to share social media, website, all of that good stuff. Um, if you got it, um, the floor is yours. All right. Um, so, yeah, IG, Greg underscore Burnham, and then the number seven. Follow me there. My website is platforml7.com. Uh, and that's where I have a lot of my own stuff. Uh, then we have tuskegears.com. I need to sell a whole bunch of these books, these children's books. So if y'all have children's, <laughs> I'm joking there. I know how to say children, plural. But um, yeah, uh, it's like a really good cause. Um, we've already been getting like some really good reviews from it. And it's already passed the psycho kid test. Where they, like my one of my friends, she's like, you know, she just put it down in front of her like seven year old niece and she read it. And then she ended up reading it like three more times. And then she heard her like, you know, like being loud. So she goes in there. She's reading the book to her nine month old baby sister. <laughs> and she's doing all the because there's kind of like a almost like a refrain or a chorus in there. And so she's like, swim, Kelly, swim. <laughs> and uh, so it passed that part. And then when the little girl was getting ready to leave, she forgot the book in the house. And so she started, she was already like in her car seat or whatever. She started crying and like they let her out. She had to run back in the house. I'm like, because, you know, if you can get the kids psycho about it, then you're, you're in a good space. So, yeah, trying to sell that book. Come to some of these shows, man. We're going to be at. Awesome Con, then we'll be right back for uh, Blurred Con. Um, what's the other one? Urban Nerd Con in Atlanta. Dream Con in Austin, Texas. Dragon Con. We're going to be at a lot of shows, so see me somewhere this summer. Absolutely. So there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Greg Burnham for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, culture, cons. Awesome cons. All that good stuff. In and around your neck of the woods, you've just got to look for it. Oh,